0: Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Uh, We have David Cunliffe, Alexi Russell, and uh, I don't think I have ever had a bigger response in my years in the panel as I have had just now when I asked for a snap poll. Gosh, it's not snap, it's huge. Uh, Do you support a capital gains tag? Yes or no? Text me 2101 if you've just joined the show. Snap poll results around 4.40. Uh, David Cunliffe brought that up, and as I've been thinking, uh, it's not on the election table, but Uh, That's the snap poll this afternoon Now the government's books opened today So all parties know what they will be dealing with It's called a pre-election economic and fiscal update A preview It's defied the gloomier expectations No recession forecast And a surplus penciled in by 2027 The economy will grow 2.6% on average Over the next four years Wages should increase roughly Double the rate of inflation in the same time unemployment expected to rise to 5.4% next year inflation to stay higher for longer with us independent economist Cameron Bagri. who was on morning report this morning but here he is post uh, preview Cameron Kyoto uh, good afternoon first an explain for our audience who are new to this why is this opening of the books done it goes back to Ruth Richardson doesn't it
1: It strikes at the heart of a simple term called transparency, um, making sure that the existing government or a potential new government knows the true state of affairs potentially leading into government. Because I guess if you go back and have a look at what Jim Bolger and Ruth Richardson inherited 30-odd years ago, suffice to say there were a whole lot of surprises. So what they brought in was legislation to make sure that now there's going to be not the repeat of those nasty surprises they got 30-odd years ago.
0: Okay, and so to this one here, uh, there was a lot of uh, gloom talked up and still a few uh, uh, things to discuss here, but what overall, were you expecting this?
1: Yeah, we've got the broad spirit of I think what most people were expecting. Yeah, We're not going to see a recession, but that sort of a bit of a half-truth, because the only way we avoid a recession is because surge surging migration. So if your population adjusts, you know, the cake's a bit bigger, but you've got a lot more, lot more people taking a piece of cake, then, yeah, know, in a per capita perspective, the uh, well, population adjust the economy actually does shrink. Yeah, you know? So on one level, we are expected to see, you know, a recession of sorts. The fiscal numbers are terrible in the near term, You know, $10 billion fiscal deficits, yeah, so we're accumulating a lot of debt over the next two years, but what's baked into the fiscal forecast is so, you know, what I would describe as some pretty heroic spending assumptions in regard to how tight they think they can be in regard to raining and spending, and if they execute on that, and they don't spend an awful lot in the next four years, lo and behold, we can magically get back the surplus.
2: <laughs>
0: Right, OK, so some pretty heroic assumptions, uh, says Cameron. Let's go around the panel on this. Alexia Russell.
2: Um, why is it so magical that we're in surplus in times like this when we've been through the most peculiar few years and, and you know, with nobody working, with everybody locked inside, with the economy upside down, and we're suddenly expected to magically return to being a healthy economy kind of instantly? Um, You know, I would be more worried if this sparked... The massive sort of backroom cuts that have unintended consequences in terms of, um, you know, massive delays and transactional sort of things, um, you know, unhappy interactions with government departments. And um, I just think we're a little bit obsessed with, and I guess I can say this because I'm not a finance person, but, you know, balancing the books and looking all rosy. Well, sometimes, you know, you've, you've taken a hit. It's going to take a little while to crawl out of it. Cameron?
1: Well, I guess if you have a look at the forecasts, yeah, we we have taken a, a bit of a hit. We got back on our feet and then we've unlocked this nasty thing called inflation. And to get rid of inflation you need to take a, a few more hits. The the, the path to surplus, you know, we don't get there until two thousand and twenty seven. Yeah. You know, so it's not like they're absolutely stomping on the economy and, and stopping spending overnight. But certainly relative the spending we've seen over the past few years, it's a big adjustment in regard to what they're expecting within the 2024, 2025 and 2026 budgets. And that's, I guess, a lot of, you know, in spirit what you talk about there was a reset. And I agree that we're going through a reset. And the thing about resets is that resets did not happen overnight. They take time.
0: All right, we have a former finance spokesman with us also. Cameron, uh, David Cunnell let's bring you in.
3: Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm going to do a Cameron Bagri and use a rugby analogy. Um, I think avoiding an extended recession is a bit like a long penalty kick in the second half of an All Blacks game. Um, that's good news, but it still feels like the second half of the France game, which wasn't pretty. So what do we know? Um, look, taxes down on forecast by $3 billion. We talked about that before Deficit rises to nearly 3% of GDP in twenty three, twenty four. Inflation's going to stick around longer. Interest rates will be up for longer. That's going to be a real pain for a lot of families. Um, and the Reserve Bank will keep its foot on the brakes. Now, the last thing you do when the bus driver's got their foot on the brakes is stand on the accelerator, uh, which means now is not the time for tax cuts. Um, and certain politicians are arguing for decent tax cuts. There is a time for tax cuts. That's when you're in surplus uh, or when you need to um, speed something up. At the moment, we've got inflation, and uh, that's the last thing we need. So, look, um, beware of politicians bearing gifts. Um, But Grant Robertson will be, I think, pleased with this. It's turned a corner, and it could have been a whole lot worse. Cameron?
1: Yeah, well, you have turn the corner on the face of it. The, the problem is that that corner's two years down the track. And there's an awful long time between now and then. And fiscal forecasts or expenditure tends to have what's called the fiscal creep. You know, a year out, the numbers tend to be higher. A year out, they tend to be yeah, higher 100%. As, again. 100%. Yeah. You, good luck of any finance minister, the current or the future one, delivering on the current Expense projections, right. because we'll be a long way on top of that. What we know at the moment is that we've got competing objectives. Look, on one level, you know, we'd want to get back the surplus, and we don't want to be accumulating too much more debt. We don't want to be adding to inflation on behalf of the Reserve Bank. Yeah, you know, so tax cuts or tax spending increases, yeah, you, know, you need to be questioning that sort of stuff. The flip side of it is that New Zealand's got some really deep-rooted structural problems. Yeah. across infrastructure, healthcare, care, education, law and order. Defence. And fiscal policy is going head to head with these competing objectives.
3: Yeah. Look, Cameron's absolutely right, but that would imply that you actually invest more and therefore have to fund more. So I say again, now is not the time for tax cuts, it's time for a fair tax policy that has a broad base and a low rate. That's what you need, and you need to invest for the future. And we, we live in you know, a really, really rapidly changing world, and we have to invest for resilience against climate change. You mentioned Defence, Cameron. We've got um, uh, Foreign Affairs and our Defence officials screaming in language they very rarely ever use that the world is going to hell in a handbasket really fast and we need to get ready for it. So in those circumstances... Where is the public debate? And I say this again, we live in a highly dynamic environment. We need leadership. I don't think the public feels like they're getting it, actually, from either side, which is why I think the combined votes of Labour and National are going to be at an all-time low this election. Mm.
0: Well, Cameron, kia It's always uh, nice to have your um, company here, independent economist Cameron Bagreed there on a bit of a uh, preview explainer that's the government books opening today and uh, just some of those figures there wage uh, the wages should increase roughly double the rate of inflation uh, over the next 4 years and unemployment expected to rise to 5.4% next year and look at those interest rates to remain at 5.7% until mid 2024 18 past 4 the panel, Northland leaders calling on the government to fix up State Highway One's Brindewyns and aren't looking for empty promises. Now the Brindewyns, they were shut. For nearly 60 days after Cyclone Gabrielle, costing the region an estimated $1.94 million a day, uh, each day the road was closed. That's according to new research from Northland Inc., tasked with assessing the impact of road closures on Teta Tokoro following February's weather event with us. Vince Cockerulo, Northland Mayoral Forum Chair. Welcome, Vince.
4: Welcome. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, it's it's a real important lifeline, isn't it? I was thinking about the Winduans and the pressures they will sus- it'll sustain once um, the weather gets better Vince, and people start uh, <laughs> wanting to g- go north again, huh?
4: Look, uh, it's the State Highway One is, is the most important network of the whole of New Zealand. You know, State Highway One doesn't matter where it is in the country; it's supposed to be number one. That is the most important uh, highway network. So we would like to see at least day high one in Northland be treated the same way it is everywhere else.
2: Alexia? Yeah, absolutely. Northland has been treated appallingly by successive governments and funding bodies. you, do you know, think so? W- w- yes, I do. The roads there are absolutely shocking, you know, in a far greater percentage than anywhere else. Part of it's Labour's fault for calling it a holiday highway, so nobody takes it seriously. It is a that very, what, very it, vital Hell no. link. <laughs> I went over the Brinduans just after they opened after the cyclone, and I. You know, at first you sort of complain, why they shut for so long? Well, you you go over them and you see why. The whole – everything was down. The cliffs were burying the road. It was – and you realise how unstable that piece of road is. You know, I think some major money needs to be poured into making sure that arterial route remains open, even in the worst of storms. All right,
0: strong words from uh, Alexia Russell there, uh, Vince.
4: Uh, they are great words. They're words that I have been hearing all the time, especially from any north That we we'll all be saying the exact same thing. Anyone who drives that state highway knows the condition of it and knows how much and what needs to actually be spent on it to actually bring it up to
3: code. Yeah. David? Oh, look, I agree too. And and looks $2 million a day cost associated with blocking one road on one hill should be a reality check to us about the cost of climate change. The cost of the Auckland floods, uh, $3 billion in two days. Cyclone Gabrielle, $2 and climbing. Um, it is a real, real reality check. Insurance premiums in Auckland, by the way, are up about 25% since last year off the back of those costs. So $2 billion, $2 million a day for the Brinduans. I am on Northland's side. We need to get it resilient. We can't, yeah. we can't have it like that. And and the same is true of Tairawhiti. The same is true of a whole bunch of places. The really confronting I th- the thought is... If climate change unfolds as it is predicted to, we will not be able to build back our current road structures fast enough to keep up with the cyclones that might hit us every month. So try and get our heads around that. It is truly concerning. We have to build resilient and we have to fund it.
0: Yeah, we've got a family relation, uh, Vince, that you know actually works uh, you know, on the on the, the coal face, you know, on the tractors, on the Aberdeerwins, and I said, how's it going? He just shook his head and goes, never-ending. Never it doesn't stop. So to David Cunliffe's point, in terms of the long-term strategy of keeping this lifeline open for everybody, what are the thoughts of the forum?
4: Look, I think the, big, the biggest thing from the forum is we actually need a proper route, four-lane expressway, uh, that's probably the first and most important part. The second thing is making sure that we've got bypass routes. So in other words, if the state highway gets shut, there is clear routes for other people to use other side. Now, we've done those calculations and that. That's about, a, it's about $100 million just to do this, those bypass routes to bring them up to so they can be used as bypass routes. Uh, but the big thing is, State Highway it needs to be a priority for the district, for the actually for the country. If people want Auckland and Whangarei to be connected, and I mean by connected, I mean if we've got the we've got the Marsden Point um, container port being up here and sending containers down to Auckland because you know one point seven million people in Auckland, you want the port to be as close as possible. Then you need to have that four lane and. You know, I don't you understand that we've actually also at the present moment got no rail line between Auckland and Northland and we won't have until midtime next year.
2: And all these things tumble into each other, don't they? Because mm. if you and know, sense. if we want to move the port from Auckland to Northland we have got to get this sorted out. I mean, basically, we need a tunnel underneath the ones, you, you know, you know, we could do it. You know, get Alice the boer back. And I think poor Northlanders are so shell shocked about the continual state of rubbish that their roads are in that they've sort of stopped moaning about it. But you know, there needs to be some a greater consciousness in Parliament about how bad things you,
0: are. There. That was pretty. I mean, it's pretty pretty strong words from Lisa. Do you think that? Northland, Northlanders feel forgotten?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's and that's probably the biggest biggest thing I'd ever notice amongst our Northlanders. They whenever someone says something in Wellington, they all go, Oh, here it goes again. And they they are feeling very, very forgotten in Northland.
3: Look, I don't I don't doubt that. And I think we need to think about this as more than a road. We need to think it as the key to unlocking a region and a region that yeah. is One of New Zealand's absolutely most deprived. It's taken a big hit with the scale back of Marsden Point. It's got our second deepest water port in the country that is ripe for expansion. It's got a world class boat building cluster that could be expanded. Uh, It's the gateway to Northland tourism. We must have resilient transport to Northland. It's not optional. That means we're going to have to do it differently. We just can't patch the current road on that slippy rock on the Brinduans. We're going to have to go big to fix this, and that's going to cost money. I come back to things like tax cuts and real tax reform. Um, There is no free lunch. We have to invest for resilience. We have to invest for growth.
0: Very good to have you on the panel, Vince. Oh, by the way, before you go, um, I just recall Sue Bradford, her I've been thinking, uh, what, it was for four or five weeks ago on the panel. She's based in the north. She's Her, her, her thoughts were we need to bring back um, strong regional rail, passenger rail to Norton. What are your thoughts?
4: Look, I'd love to see that sort of approach. Going with the fact that we've uh, they've spent $200 million on the rail line as it is, Uh, There was over 100 slips. Look, I I think the biggest realistic thing, I think rail is only one part of the solution. We need to have that four-laning as as part of it. The rail is another part, and the sea and the air are also parts. But the, the big thing is most people today have a car in Northland, and that's how they get around. They don't hop on the train. They don't hop on a bus. They hop in a car because that's their main form of transport.
0: All right, Vince. Kia Thank you for your time. Vince Kokorula there, Northland Mayor Forum Chair Vince Kokrula there. It is 26 past four. If you have just joined us, welcome to the panel. By the way, we are on iHeart, Spotify on Apple or the RNZ app if you can't catch the panel live and uh, we just decided to do a snap panel poll this afternoon because uh, David Cunnell have brought out that and it's not on the table but uh, whether or not you support a capital gains tax yes, no text me 2101 and I don't think I've ever had such response in my nearly five years on the panel so you can keep that coming results at uh, 4 Forty more wonderful panellist, uh, Sally, is quickly collating the results on that. Uh, you can keep those coming on, 2101. But to this completely changing tack now, debate rages <coughs> on how many Air New Zealand lollies it is acceptable to take. It's been a question that has been asked on the Reddit forum recently. The classic hardboard lolly has been on our flight for 50 years. How many lollies is it acceptable to take when the basket comes round? No more than two, many said. Someone said, "My kid asked me how many." I said two. He pointed out there were others taking a lot more, but quite a few said, "Well, the air cabin crew—they couldn't care less." Round the panel on this, so uh, you're on—you know, you're in—you're in seat four B. Uh, Alexia. <laughs> yeah.
2: Sure, I mean, let's secret. In your dreams? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Lally. I don't really like boiled lollies, so I tend to take none. But but when I was a little girl, and my father was a regional inspector, he used to come home with an airplane lolly each for us, and there were five of us at the time. And um, so he made a bit of sweet talking to New Zealand stewardesses, as they all were then. But, uh, yeah, you know, what if you've got six kids? at home and you need to take one each fair enough.
0: But it's just for the moment isn't it the, the real answer is one isn't it David I mean there you are, you're in, you're, you're in 1B
3: uh, Oh you're right well, the in you're the whole, If you're handing you the whole
2: basket take as many as you want
3: yeah. Watch out <laughs> they, the politician doesn't grab them first <laughs> if, um, if, they
2: only, if you only wanted to take one they'd give you one
3: Yeah yeah no yeah. they just want to see how you behave so you can get your neighbour Maximum two norm one <laughs> Best if you're chubby like me, zero. But the question on my mind is, how come you never can refuse the cheese?
0: Oh, it's well, That's, nice, that's nice a whole cheese. other story, though, isn't it? That's a whole other panel topic because uh, you can actually dispense with the boiled lolly because they're all they're, they're all terrible. Oh, no, can't. no those are a national
3: institution. God, the All Blacks yeah. will never win if we give away the boiled <laughs> lolly.
0: But the cheese is another matter. That can never be dispensed with. You've got to have the five o'clock cheese, right, David?
3: Oh God, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, every time I see it, I think, today I'm not going to eat the cheese. <laughs> and every time I do. And, you know, what can I say?
2: But do you eat it by itself or do you sandwich it with the crackers? Oh, with the crackers. Yeah, of oh, yeah.
3: I mean, because I'm thinking that's more carbs, less fat. But Does you know. it come back to something else? lose-lose. So I mean, lose.
0: Stephen Franks on the show yesterday talked about the notion of um, – Of, 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 we're in a shaming environment where I I think he was trying to say there's less etiquette around these days. Doesn't it come back to this, David, that we don't know how to behave? Actually, the real answer is probably one or two. And yet you do see people with their mitts taking a whole handful. And it's just the fact that we have lost etiquette. We've lost our way, haven't we, David?
3: Well, you know, firstly, a shout out to Stephen Franks. I, I enjoyed that. Yesterday, when I was listening in, and although we were on opposite sides of the house, and we had the odd good debate, he was always one who maintained etiquette, and we could always have a laugh about it afterwards. And gee, I wish there was more of that in politics these days. Um, yeah, just keep the lollies.
0: You're on the panel in uh, Z National. We have Alexia Russell and David Cunliffe uh, this afternoon. And goodness gracious me, uh, it is. Been a huge snap panel poll. Uh, last chances to get that in, yes or no? Uh, it has not been on the table, but nonetheless, we're asking it should there be in this country a capital gains tax? Yes or no? 2101.